0: Okay, the H-1B guy here, and today, the H-1B guy live, January 19th, 2022, covering Biden's changes to immigration in 2022, H-1B passive income, and taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you if you haven't already to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention that H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment strategy while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. You can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguide.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, and by perm-ads.com. The industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Well, wanted to jump in here this afternoon um, and do kind of a midweek live stream here today. Um, It's been a couple of weeks uh, right around the end of the year since we last uh, did a live stream broadcast. Um, so, wanted to, to take some time out here today, and um, you know, do a little bit of coverage on some articles from last week, some news that I didn't get a chance to cover, um, some news that's come out this week, and uh, overall, just kind of discuss a question that I've been getting kind of frequently. Um, and I had uh, somebody reach out to me via Instagram. Um, and we went back and forth on this topic a good bit and uh, thought it might be a good segment um, for some content here on this channel. And that's, you know, H-1B passive income. Uh, but before we jump into to that and before we get into to Biden's, you know, immigration changes for 2022, um, I saw earlier in the week um, that USCIS came out and said that they would be accepting dates of filing. Um, for the February 2022 visa bulletin. If we remember, you know, moved up to, um, uh, you know, a, a good good amount. I think we're in September now of 2013 um, for those dates of filing. And the last time if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was 2020, February of 2020 uh, was the farthest that USCIS accepted uh, dates of filing to, to my recent memory. Um, I'm sure that, uh, that some of you out there may, may recall um, something that, that maybe is more recent. But during uh, that August or excuse me, October uh, November, December two thousand nineteen, and then January, February of two thousand twenty. Uh, Dates of filing, I believe, were used over those five months, which was one of the longer periods. Um, we we've seen that now happen again this year, um, and when you look at you know some of the movement that that's happened, um, it, again it it tells me that in the next six to nine months, um, if we don't see any. Uh, retrogression over the next six to nine months. That um, September 2013 will will find itself in in final action. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting move. It was a question that, that several of you and I have been going back around. Is you know are they going to use dates of filing again in February? I was fifty fifty on it. I, I lean towards final action. Um, generally, it it to me it it feels like USCIS uses dates of filing in, in Q1. Um, but, you know, here we are uh, in the second month of, of Q2 and uh, uh, dates of filing are, are again, uh, being utilized. So I thought that was was really interesting. Um, so I wanted to jump to an article um, or paper that was put out on January eleventh, twenty 2022. Um, by Jens Manuel Krogstad and um, Ana gonzalez Berea for Pew Research. Uh, The article is titled, Key Facts About U.S. Immigration Policies and Biden's Proposed Changes. Uh, And it gets into a lot of different aspects of it, but I just wanted to cover some of the um, points from the employment-based green card section where it says, quote, in fiscal year 2019, Uh, The U.S. government awarded more than 139,000 employment-based green cards to foreign workers and their families. Uh, The Biden administration's proposed legislation could boost the number of employment-based green cards, which are capped at about 140,000 per year. The proposal would allow the use of unused visa slots from previous years and allow spouses and children of employment-based visa holders to receive green cards without counting them against the cap. Um, these measures could help clear the large backlog of applicants. The proposed legislation would eliminate the per-country cap that prevents immigrants from any single country uh, to account for more than seven percent of green cards issued each year. Uh, earlier in the year, I covered uh, an article that Stuart Anderson had posted in, in Forbes from, um, you know, the NFAP. Uh, where he talked about some of these potential changes. When I read this piece from Pew, it feels like the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, and not as much um, the provisions that were hotly debated and contested in the Build Back Better, um, and even some form of the Eagle Act. I mean, this this text right here from from pew really feels like to me it it reads straight from the u.s citizenship act of 2021 again if we remember that was day one legislation for the biden administration Um, that that text was um, submitted by senator menendez uh, from new jersey Um, and you know really championed part of their big overall immigration reform and plans for their first hundred days. And then we really never saw anything happen from that. Um, so here Pew's really kind of going back to the well, uh, if you will, and and talking about that text that we've covered uh, multiple times. Um, but again, you know, I, I think to me, the question continues to be: What's the Biden administration's plan? What action do they plan to take? What legislative action? What executive action? What are they going to do about this growing issue, this green card backlog, um, this this issue that you know is created by the seven percent country caps? Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But again, not really a whole lot new here. Um, the question is: Is when? Not really what, because this this information is information that that we've had, um, and and I really don't find it to be anything uh, you know really new from from Pew. Uh, so moving on to the section about H one B visas, it said quote in fiscal year twenty nineteen, more than one hundred and eighty eight thousand high skilled foreign workers received H one B visas. H one B visas accounted for twenty two percent of. All temporary visas uh, for employment issued in 2019, this trailed only the H-2A visa for agricultural workers, which accounted for nearly a quarter, 24% of temporary visas. In all, nearly 2 million H-1B visas were issued from fiscal years 2007 to 2019. The Biden administration is expected to review policies that led to increased denial rates of H 1B visa applications under the Trump administration. In addition, Biden has delayed implementing a rule uh, that would put in place a uh, by Trump that sought to prioritize H 1B visa selections based on wages, uh, which w- would have raised the wages of H 1B recipients overall. Uh, Biden also proposed legislation to provide permanent work permits to spouses of H-1B visa holders. Uh, By contrast, the Trump administration had sought to restrict these permits. Uh, The Trump administration also created an electronic registration system that led to a record number of applicants for fiscal year 2021. Um, So again, kind of going back to some of that U.S. citizenship act of 2021 language where you see You know, Biden proposed legislation to provide permanent work permits to spouses of H-1B visa holders. We saw that text included in the U.S. Citizenship Act of of 2021. I thought the the data here around the 2019 numbers was interesting. When you look at 22% of all temporary visas were H-1Bs, yet 24% of all temporary visas was H-2As. Um, so that temporary agricultural visa, um, we also see the H2B visa, but again, those two visas right there combined for 46% of all temporary work visas issued in, in 2019, uh, over that 12 year period, 2007 to 2019, you see 2 million H1B visas were issued. Um, I I think that that's interesting. However, the context of the the wage rule, um, Meaning the lot, the wage selection for the lottery, and then the wage rule that that looked to increase, um, you know, the the various wage levels. Um, you know, it, to me, those appear to be a, a, a thing of the past. Uh, but again, it's brought up here, so it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how it is handled. I, I I've heard many times over that that the Biden administration does support. Um, some sort of wage level increase. I've also heard that, that they do support some sort of wage-based selection. So, again, the, how these things play out as we head into um, you know 2022 now, uh, going to be interesting knowing we're in a, a midterm election year. Uh, I, I really don't feel like we're going to see a lot of changes uh, in, in terms of any of these things that are being referenced by Pew. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong in that regard. Uh, again, I think we go back to what the root cause, one of the constant themes that we've had here on this platform um, and what's created the, the backlog that as of right now is, is somewhere between um, you know 3,300 to, to, to 3,800 days depending on on the fluctuation. Um, when you you do that math, that's that's a 10 year time frame. Uh, So, uh, again, you know, I I think that the awareness is there. The reluctancy to do something about it uh, in their first year, I think, is very concerning. I mean, when you look at um, we're we're coming up on a a year almost since uh, the inauguration. Uh, So, again, we look at, at what's happening within immigration, where the focus is seems like the priorities surrounding the the voting rights um, has, has taken precedent and, and rightfully so. Uh, but when, right? I, I think that continues to be be the question. Um, I saw something earlier today I thought was was pretty interesting um, that that talked about individual press conferences in their their first year in office. Um, and, you know, President Biden had the least of, of the, the previous four presidents uh, and least by by you know, well over half. So, uh, again, this, this, this administration appears to want to, to really work from uh, internally and within has been very, very secretive and, and very noncommittal. Um, To a lot of the questions that have been posed to them from an immigration point of view, uh, specifically around the green card backlog, around documented and undocumented dreamers, um, around processing delays. So we'll see what what happens um, here. I I think the next couple of months are going to be really interesting in in that regard. Um, Just wanted to ask you, if you haven't already, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, like this video um, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we do go live, like we have here today um, on January 19th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you're looking for ways that you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the super chat function here on YouTube. Um, if you are listening or watching on a podcast or a later episode, uh, you can also do so through buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to post those in the chat. Um, I've got a couple of more things I wanted to uh, to discuss. And, and then if there are any questions or comments, we'll, uh, we'll get to those um, towards the end of the stream. Wanted to thank everyone who's taken the time here to join me today um everyone who sent me questions and comments words of encouragement over the last couple of weeks i just really appreciate your support um the fact that you know you take time to reach out to me and and provide those words of encouragement thank you so much i can't do it without you can't do it without your support um so i wanted to move into a question i've been getting a good bit and in the past i have covered um You know, a a few different things around uh, dual H-1Bs, H-1B entrepreneurship and, you know, the 49% equity um, covered some of those things a a good bit. And I will tell you that um, this question, I I think, is interesting because it's around, you know, passive income on H-1B. So one of the things that, that I've found historically speaking, and in, in folks that I've worked with that do come to the U.S. on an H one B visa, they're 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 in search of an opportunity, a better quality of life, and honestly, a maximization of their earnings potential, i.e., income. Um, those are some traits historically speaking that that I've seen, um, and I think that that goes hand in hand with. Uh, the question around you know H one B passive income, and so the question that was was posed to me was was pretty direct, and 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 it, that was you know asking me about the possibility of an H one B visa holder uh, creating income via Airbnb or Turo. I wasn't familiar with Turo until this, but it is a car rental platform similar to the Airbnb concept. And you know, I think that that's a a, a great strategy when you look at the possibility of maybe you own a home, you want to run out a room, or um, even considering a you know multiple properties and and renting those out. Um, but I'll say this. There are plenty of other sites out there um, that are way more qualified to discuss this and how to make this work. Um, I'm sure most of you have seen or watched some of their their content before. Um, But but I think that that, you know, my two cents here is I I just wanted to discuss this briefly because I think it's relevant. And and I think the biggest thing that we talk about here for those of you living and working here on H-1B Visa um, I think the biggest thing that I want to instill in you is that how important it is for you to maintain your status. I, I hope that's one of the things that this platform here helps you do um, is is to maintain your status. And so I wanted to talk about this because there could be a possibility um, through passive income turning into productive income where you could jeopardize your, your H-1B status. Uh, so I, I thought it was worth at least talking about just for a few minutes here today. Um, so what I, the conclusion I, I came to, um, is that the answer is, is yes, you can be an H-1B visa holder and create income via rental, Airbnb or Turo. Um, but the biggest thing is that the rental properties or the car rental in this case, are allowed as long as they are considered passive income the other catch is that you are not allowed to individually broker the rental Um, as i mentioned as well you know it cannot be considered productive income that means you're actively buying properties um, and, and renting them out as, as part of a productive income, meaning not a supplemental income to your current employment, but actual productive income, i.e. more than you're probably making on, on an H-1B visa. So I interpret this to say that it's okay, um, and I would imply that it's it's fine uh, if you do buy, buy a property on H-1B visa outside of a property that you, you already own. Um, or a car as a rental investment. Again, though, you cannot facilitate the rental. Um, I think that that's a really big, big piece of this. So you need to use like a broker, like an Airbnb or a Turo, or a rental agency of some sort. Um, So it's gotta be done by a third party. However, I think the, the but here is that owning multiple properties or cars to continue the comparison enlisting them via Airbnb or Turo or using a third-party rental site um, could lend itself to be considered more of a productive income. So, you know, again, this is my opinion. Um, I am not providing legal advice here in any way, shape, or form. Um, If you need that, you need to consult with an attorney, but I believe that you'll be fine as long as you're looking at one or two Uh, properties here are one or two cars. Uh, But I think any more than that, and if the property is very popular and creates a lot of income for you, um, it may begin to create the assumption that it's productive income and you don't want to jeopardize your H-1B. That is the most important thing here. Okay. So I'll close out by saying this. I, I haven't personally used Toro, but I've used Airbnb I've used Verbo and I've used HomeAway uh, many times to to a fair amount of success. Uh, my best advice here, and when considering, you know, H one B passive income, is again to make sure that you do not jeopardize your H one B status, while also choosing your investment portfolio and your passive income strategies wisely. I think there's great opportunities for H-1Bs out there to create passive income, to create good investments. And the reason being is when you look at how H-1Bs are paid, right, um, you know, the, the compensation uh, that, that they receive on average, um, you know, we're talking about fairly high net earners. And so, you know, there is a great opportunity then for individuals like that, Um to create income streams via investments, good investments, good investment portfolio strategies. Uh, again, there's other sites out there that are much more suited to have this conversation, but I did want to briefly mention it. That's my interpretation of the way it works. If, if you know otherwise, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Um, so did want to mention, you know, if you do have questions or comments, uh, please drop those in the chat. I've got a couple right now um, we'll be getting to those in uh, a minute or two here. Um, I also wanted to mention again, um, you know, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, uh, click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we do go live here on this channel. Um, if you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the super chat function here on YouTube. Um, If you're watching this or listening to this on in podcast forum at a later time or here on YouTube, uh, you can do so through buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy. So really appreciate all of you taking the time here to to jump in with me this afternoon. Um, If you have questions, post those in the chat and I will get to them starting now. Hey, SNK underscore 92. Thanks for joining me here today. Nice to see you. Um, What will happen to H1B online registration system in 2022? Uh, That's a great question. I actually covered this um, pretty recently. And and that is to say it, it appears to me that there are no changes. It will be another random electronic selection process. Um, I'd been, you know, predicting March seventh through March twenty fifth is when the portal would be open, uh, but I had a uh, a follower here on YouTube reach out to me in the comments section that, that mentioned that um, they had received some notification via my USCIS account um, that they could begin registering and applying. The window was February twenty fourth through March first. Which leads me to believe that March first date may be accurate, um, which I, I think is is interesting when we look at the scheme of the date and how the calendar falls in March. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if we look at March from from a holistic point of view, March first is a Tuesday, uh, so that very likely could be a possibility um, that that would be day one. And if that were the case, you know, they may run it all the way through the 25th and then open up the portal either on April 1st or April 4th. Okay. Um, again, going back to, you know, my sort of initial guesstimate, which is, um, you know, March 7th through March 25th, that, that timeline would still hold accurate where we'd be looking at something very similar. Um again opening up on Friday, April the first or Monday, April the Fourth, as possibilities. But again, no no changes from a the perspective of you know electronic selection. Um it, it will be electronic random selection. There's there's really no wage wage based to it at all. Um, that has now become a, a, a thing of the past and, and gone the way of, of the, the former uh, Trump administration. So, yep. Hey, thanks for jumping in. I appreciate it. Uh, SNK underscore 92. Hey, sweet seller, how are you? What is the schedule for your live shows? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't have one. Um, typically, I do try to stream on Wednesdays um, once I've completed obligations with a couple of uh, my clients that, that I do a fair amount of work for. Um, with that being said, you know, over the next couple of weeks, um, probably we'll do another stream towards the end of January on Wednesday. Um, if I'm looking at a calendar to, to try to get a feel for an exact day. Uh, probably, well, if we look at when, when that breaks down, that would be the 26th or February 2nd. So that'll probably put my next, um, stream around February the 9th. Uh, just, just kind of looking at the calendar. So probably February 9th, I may do one the following week too, just to have a couple of live streams in February. Um, and then looking ahead, I'm going to have, um, tentatively scheduled to have, uh, Uh, Mark uh, Palopoulos and Daniel Mandelbaum on April the 8th to discuss um, those who had failed lottery cases and and what their options are. Uh, But appreciate the question. Definitely trying to be more consistent in that. For the most part, streams have been on Wednesdays. The time does vary um, anywhere between one, two, three, four. This is the latest I've done it in a while. I wanted to try a four o'clock here today. Um, I know I've got a fair amount of folks that, you know, are on the West Coast that that do check me out. So, um, you know, thanks for the question. Nice to see you and uh, appreciate all of your support. Hey, Ashish, how are you? Um, Your PD of March 2013 and downgraded last year. Now you have EB3, EAD, and AP. If my date becomes current in the next month, what is your feeling when EB3 March 2013 will be current? It's a great question. And you're one of the many, um, you know, who kind of has gone through this. Um, I think that, you know, it's it's one of those things where you, you took the chance, right? And you hope that that, that it pays off. Uh, but to give you the short answer, again, I think um, my my best guess is is October of this year. Uh, i I say that because October of this year, I don't expect any movement for e b three for India um, for the remainder of the year. and and that's based on simply, the demand outweighs the number allocation so I, I don't think these dates are going to advance at all um over the next next several months uh, hopefully that is proved to be wrong um, but for right now that's just you know how i'm i'm foreseeing it um the good news though for you if there is a sliver of hope is that you do have an ead with ap You have some freedom right now, Um, you know, you you can choose who you work for and how much you're paid at at the least, I think right now, Um, and and you have that freedom of of travel. Um, I don't know if you've activated that or if you're still working under H1B. I I know that that's a a topic that comes up a good bit. I've always advised to work under the H1B until it expires. is, and and not utilize that eadap unless you absolutely have to but thanks for your question again you know i'm i'm assuming for eb3 march 2013 best guess is is october of 2022. Hey, Adrian, how are you? You're looking to apply for H-1B visa with your current company, but you're also looking at potentially starting a new job with another company. Could I switch jobs immediately if I got selected? No, because you're sponsoring employer. Well, it depends if the other company is going to sponsor you. Yes. But if you're trying to stay with your current employer, they sponsor you and you're selected, they would need to file um, for... Um, uh, the, the petition in its entirety, it would need to be impr- approved um, and then begin uh, effective date of October 1st. Uh, you'd need to work for at least 30 days at a minimum and have some sort of pay stub that you could provide before you'd be able to change employers. So, best case scenario for you is if the other company that you want to switch to, they would need to sponsor you, would be how I would handle that. Um, if if that's really the approach that you want to take. Otherwise, if your current employer sponsors you, they're selected. You need to have them submit the petition, get approval and continue to work for them for a minimum period of time. Generally, that's, you know, three or one to two months at minimum with, with a pay stub before transferring. And as a follow up, I, I need, I know I would need to apply for H1B transfer. Could I do it anytime if I'm selected in the lottery? If I'm not selected, could I still change to a different employer? Yes, you you cannot transfer at any time. Um, the H1B has to be active, and you have to be working and being paid by the sponsoring employer. Um, it's not, it it just doesn't, it's not transferable like that. Um, if you're not selected, you can change to a different employer at any time. Um, but again, if we go back and look at what's happened over the last couple of years, we've had a second lottery in 2020, uh, we've had a second and third lottery, uh, this, this year for fiscal year 2022, um, so, uh, again, and with a fourth still being a possibility. So if you did leave them, you would forego that option. Uh, so if I'm you right now, if you are going to make this move, you do have time, I'd change to the employer that you want to go to. But you need to be direct with them and let them know they're going to have to sponsor you. If they're not willing to do that, then I would stay put. Hey, Adarsh, how are you? Any major changes, enhancements, you know, uh, coming to the H-1B lottery? No, I did a video um uh, last week called uh, H-1B lottery 2023, what you need to know. Um, where I covered that and, and there aren't a whole lot of changes to be honest with you. Um, you know, $10 non-refundable registration fee. Uh, it looks like, um, the beginning of March, either March 1st or March 7th, that's going to open up. Um, and again, I'm expecting over 300,000 applications for those 85,000 slots. I do expect a subsequent second lottery, at least for fiscal year, 2023, um, we'll see if you know something outside of that is is right or not. Um, we'll be interesting to see what the numbers look like but I think demand continues to be there. Uh, last year the number was a little bit above 308 thousand um, total. Uh, so with that the question is do we see 310 315 this year? I believe we're gonna see well over 300. Um, so no, really no changes, electronic selection, random electronic selection. Um, what they'll do is they'll open a window either March 1st or March 7th. They're going to close that possibly March 25th. They'll notify individuals that they've been selected. And then the employer will be able to, uh, begin filing their paper petition, most likely either April 1st or April 4th. On my prediction video, I hinted at April, May, EB2 slowdown. Do you have any further updates? No, this is a rumor that's been building a little bit. Um, I think a lot of people tend to believe uh, that if that is going to happen, retrogression in, in EB2, or slowdown, if you will, that it'll happen in the last quarter, so July, August, September, um, I'm more of the inclination just based on some of the rumors that I've been hearing uh, and then the corrective action uh, designation that we saw in the EB4s where the, the number requests are outweighing um, the number allocation, uh, it just it feels to me like when we looked at the EB2 numbers um, and one of the, the last few chats with Charlie, he shared the slides that talked about the number demand and the number allocation. EB2 was slightly above that, below that threshold. EB3 was way above it. Um, so that's why you've seen EB3 in, in the pause that it's had. A lot of that having to do with the downgrades, right? Um, but again, now when we look at what's what's going on, Um, There aren't as many upgrades occurring as I think that was initially predicted. Uh, So I I don't want to go on record and say there's absolutely going to be retrogression in in April or May, but I do feel like um, the movement that we've been seeing here, uh, 177 days, I believe, uh, for EB two for for February, I, I just I don't think we're going to see that in April or May. Although if we go back to May of last year, that's when we really began to see a lot of the rapid forward movement. Um, that was an attempt to utilize full numbers, but unfortunately USCIS proved they can only process about 170 plus thousand uh, green cards in a in a given year. So I don't think that we'll see. Um, that number. But uh, again, I do believe there is a possibility of a slowdown. I don't want to go officially on record and say that that retrogression is absolutely happening because these things are so fluid. Um, Most of the other folks out there that talk about this tend to believe that that may happen in July, August or September. Um, I, on the other hand, was feeling like there could be a possibility of the upgrade impact and what that would look like and and those numbers starting to hit in in April or May. But great question. Thank you so much for your support. Addressing duplicate applications Adarsh, and you're referring to the H1B lottery, the electronic selection. No, that's the thing. Um, you know, as I said in, you know, my video on H1B lottery what you need to know, um, you know, the the, the biggest thing here is is that You know, employers can only submit a candidate into the electronic portal once. Okay, however, candidates can have as many employers as they want, submit their name into the portal. So it gives the candidate the option. But the biggest thing is, is once selected, if the employer moves forward with the the paper uh, petition, that is then if you have a duplicate paper petition duplicate selection you can't have two um, two paper petitions submitted on your behalf Uh, so i think that's the biggest thing here to to be aware of um, is is that right is you can have multiple employers put your name in the portal but at, at the end of the day if you're selected by multiple employers only one of them can submit your paper petition. Otherwise, if there are multiples, all will be rejected. That's been my understanding of of how the process has worked. Um, if we look at the the thing that really stands out when we look at when I talked about the possibility of there being a fourth lottery, right? and and what what that looks like, and we look at some of the 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 re- the response rates from selection, the application rate. Um, and those numbers, you know, were were somewhere around 70% for round one and 40% for round two. That's pretty staggering numbers um, if, if you think about it. So that means that uh, literally 40%, meaning four out of every 10 selections that were made, only four, four were responding via um, a paper application. Uh, Whereas in round one, that number was 70%. I'm really interested to see what the response rate on the the third lottery looks like. Um, It it will be interesting to see if if we do have a fourth lottery. Uh, Again, the electronic selection and the electronic portal, it, it saved USCIS millions because they're not having to return Um, all of these paper applications and checks that weren't cashed. Uh, But what it has created is a flooding of the system. Multiple individuals are individuals being sponsored, you know, across the board, having multiple companies submit their name into the portal. So it feels like it's inflating the numbers, you know, to an extent. Um, But, yeah, hey, thanks, no problem. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to jump in here today. Um, and asking questions, um, I have a couple more minutes here. If anyone else has any questions or comments, um, wanted to just take a few minutes here today to to jump into uh, to live stream and and uh, you know talk about Biden's immigration changes for 2022, which to me sound like um, nothing new. A lot of what we heard via the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, and again, all of this is you know per the The Pew Research article that that I shared, um, it, it again, it feels like to me they, they want to continue to talk about some ideas and changes, but we just don't see any activity behind them. Um, uh, personally, for for the most part, um, also covered, uh, you know, H one B passive income uh, and what that looks like. You know, a little bit about uh, rental properties via. Airbnb and Turo, the car uh, renting service, Uh, the reminder there is to make sure that isn't considered or works its way to become productive income. Um, Adrian, you had another question. When you say it is the latest I could start working for my new company this year to make sure the company still has time to apply for my Um, H1B. I would think probably mid February. So if you started working for them sometime in the next month, if they if they have an immigration attorney that they work with, um, they should be able to, if they have a my USCIS account um, and are willing to pay the, the $10 non-refundable fee, they, they should be able to get you in by, by the beginning of March. Um, so yeah, I, I think if we want an exact date, uh, looking at at February... Um, I'd say you would need to have started working for them by Valentine's Day, February 14th. I think that would be a good, uh, good reference point for you, um, to, to make sure that, that the new employer has, has two weeks to, to get with an immigration attorney, get the fees and make sure that, uh, that, that you get submitted into the portal. Now that'd be cutting it close, but again, we're talking about you know that's what four weeks away i believe um you know it's, it's not not quite a full 30 days uh that that date you're probably 27 26 days or so um so if you're in final stages and you've got to turn in two weeks notice i mean you're right in that window right now um otherwise you know if if you do decide to join another company current employer sponsors you you'd have to be working for them you you can't transfer it if you're selected okay so i hope that helps you adrian um all right well wanted to say thank you to everyone uh who took time to to put questions in here today um adrian uh, snk sweet seller um ashish uh, ardash thank you for all jumping in here really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh to join my stream and uh, post comments in the chat if you are watching this at a later date uh, of course you can check out the h1bguy.com you can reach out to me and contact me directly Um, if you need time or you you need my opinion you can set up a time uh, via my calendly to speak with me directly um, I love the opportunity to to work with you and and provide any guidance that that I may be able to, uh, based on you know my gosh, eighteen years now in staffing and work authorization. It's pretty crazy when I put it out there like that, uh, but definitely working on um, some some new things. I'm working on a, a piece around. Uh, some H-1B data um, that, that I've been kind of combing through. Um, so, you know, some wage data, some some organizational numbers, I think, that are that are pretty interesting. I don't know when I'm going to put that out, uh, but hopefully that'll be sometime in the next few weeks. Um, but with that being said, I just wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream was brought to you by Sedesis and Path to Canada. The ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B, and Cendesis and Pat to Canada are your answers. they will gladly help you navigate the process, and if you're interested in finding out more, links can be found on my website, uh, via the blog post of today's live stream, Also, in the video description here on YouTube and also on the podcast. Um, To find out if you qualify, use that link and someone from Syndesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And also by perm ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor recruitment certification advertising let perm-ads.com help you just wanted to say thanks again to our sponsors uh, for helping us bring these live streams to you i uh, wanted to thank everyone again who took time to, to join uh, if you haven't already please make sure you like this video subscribe to the h one b Guy channel here on youtube and click the bell for notifications So that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel if you've made it this far i just want to say thank you for taking the time to watch my video join this stream or listen to this um, in audio format at a future time and date really appreciate your support and i cannot do it without you i'm robert i'm the h1b guy your global source for all things h1b